I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Tim Vest. Uh, Tim has 15 years in real estate investing and development, also a, a background in IT, which we were discussing a little bit prior to starting recording. Tim, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Hey Jason, thanks for having me. Uh, great to be here. Great. So. Tim, if you would, can you kind of just give us, uh, tell us the story of your background and then, and then we'll talk about, you know, kind of whatever we feel like is interesting to us. Yeah, sure. Uh, so since you mentioned, uh, it, yeah, I got a, uh, I, I've been, uh, in the it world for 23 years, um, got out of college in 98 and, and, uh, <clears throat> other than a very brief, brief stint as a process engineer at a manufacturing plant, um, have, uh, been working in it ever since. Um, you know, uh, going around the, uh, the country doing implementations for IBM, small startups, uh, large fortune 50 companies, um, that type of thing. Um, and, uh, actually have, uh, been investing and doing some sort of real estate for about 15 years now, uh, around 2006, met a couple of guys at a company I was working for all of us, little it guys with a little extra income. And, uh, and, uh, so we decided to pull it together and, and go invest in some land development opportunities at the time. Um, went really, really well, uh, to about 2008. Um, and if that date rings a bell with anybody yeah. <laughs> for everyone in real estate, that rings yeah, a bell. Yeah. You were probably in real estate at the time in some way, shape or form. Um, that, uh, that went really well to about 2008. Um, things, uh, went south pretty quick. Fortunately for well, fortunately, uh, I'll say fortunately, cause, um, you know, it, it's one thing when you lose your own money. Um, you know, we were only using our own money at the time. Um, so I never had to explain to investors what happened. Um, so thankfully on that, uh, but then, uh, around 2010, um, pivoted into fix and flip single family, just, um, primarily because there, there was so much opportunity in that at the time, yeah. um, coming out of that, uh, that real estate kind of bubble, uh, there was a lot of opportunity on the other side of it for, you know, if you were in a position to, to do something there. Um, and, uh, then around 2000, Ooh, about 2017, um, decided to make a pivot into some other area of real estate and, uh, did a, did a little analysis in 2018, decided I was going to jump into multifamily and, uh, have been doing multifamily ever since. And here we are. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, you, sort of sort of ran the gamut there through throughout the, and I feel like that's kind of common people have do a little bit here and there I mean I I, I similarly you know did some fix and flips some live in uh flips did some house hacking you know that kind of that stuff and sure. then you, you, you eventually realize that that's not necessarily scalable it's not it's not necessarily gonna doesn't free up your time the way you might want it to so um when you so you started with some guys you worked with, kind of got into partnering in, in land development. How did you, 
actually really haven't got to talk about any sort of land developed type stuff on the show very much. What what drew you to it, and you know, kind of what it, what did you guys do there? What what pro, what was the process? And maybe yes. it's different now than it was <laughs> than it was then. No, you know, in fact, I, I still see a lot of it going on. Um, in fact, um, in one of my passive investments right now, I'm in a land fund, um, which quite frankly is backed by um, something very similar to what we were doing. Um, and, you know, for, for a lot of folks that don't know, um, you know, cause, cause usually when people see land being offered in some way, shape or form, they'll either see a sign on the side of the road of like, you know, 23 acres for sale and it's just a bunch of trees or a field, or they'll see, you know, um, I'll just use a big builder that everybody tends to know, like DR Horton, you know, this 200 home community. What they don't, what a lot of folks don't realize is that somebody probably found that opportunity for DR Horton. They found that land, they negotiated the, uh, the, the purchase of the land or procuring and securing it, um, and then went out and shopped it to a developer, to a builder like a DR Horton. Uh, we were doing something similar, uh, <clears throat> primarily in the North Carolina mountains and the coast of the Carolinas um, in North and South Carolina down in, on the eastern side of the states. Um, and you know, at the time, and it's still true today, but at the time, there are a lot of people from the Northeast retiring and, and from Ohio retiring into the Carolinas, either in the mountains or the coast. And so there was a lot of demand for it. And uh, so we would, we would work to go identify these properties, these, this land, they, we'd get it under contract in some way, shape or form. And, or another developer would, and they'd partner with us to leverage our credit and capital to put in infrastructure to prep the land for development. And then they'd go offer that to like a DR Horton or a builder of some sort. Um, so we were coming in in that phase and, um, and, and helping, you know, get through kind of phase one, if you will. And then we would exit out uh, about the time the developer came in, bought it and got ready to actually build on it. That's a, it's very interesting. I think, I think maybe I was peripherally aware of how things work in that, you know, in that process, but I, I think probably a lot of people don't realize the steps. I mean, even, even the steps to just taking raw land and then getting it to the point where it can be developed, whether that's, you know, zoning or, or uh, I don't know, did you, were you involved in sort of getting, whether it be power or sewer or anything like that to these, the, the land, or that was kind of once the developer got there? Um, yes and no. Um, we rarely work to, to do that piece of it. Usually that was on the development side. Um, uh, the, it was more common that, that someone had, the, or someone had the land kind of, um, under contract and they would, they'd kind of reach a point where they were like, all right, we've already deployed our capital to get under contract. Now we need somebody else's capital to put this, this infrastructure in place. And that's where they would come to us. Um, and you know, that, so we would use again, our credit and our capital to help them do that piece of it. Um, so essentially they were bringing us in in a partnership and then, you know, the whole exit strategy was now we're going to go find a developer to, and a lot of times they already had a developer in mind, um, to, to then take the land to, to the general market. Um, so, you know, there, it was, it was low risk up front from the standpoint of generally the business plan was in place. And as long as the market was okay and, um, you know, everybody was, was doing all right, then, you know, things happened pretty seamlessly. It's when 
the market tightened up, the market crashed. Um, some of the developers went out of business and then lending just became impossible. Yeah. Um, and then quite frankly, there was such a, um, there was just such an overabundance of, of, uh, of real estate at the time, not, not real estate in terms of land, but you know, homes available that, um, when the market crashed, there was just this flood, right. Of, of available inventory that, you know, everybody was going, why would I build anything? Um, you know, so that's, that's kind of what we ran into at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't a great time for developers. I think specifically that was a, a, a they got hit maybe the hardest in <laughs> of all the real estate groups. I think at, at the time, just that nobody wanted you to build anymore. Cause it was like, but we have all this excess, right? There was no demand. Yeah. I, I, so interesting, um, kind of sad, but interesting. Uh, it, it was, uh, so that was about 2008, around 2012, um, just happened to be in the North Carolina mountains for, you know, vacation or whatever. And we happened to be close to a place that we had under contract when 2008 hit. And I was like, I wonder what it looks like. And I went by there and, uh, rope across the entrance, beautifully paved roads, overgrown lots. Um, and it had been that way for oh, four years at that point in time. Um, and, but you didn't, you didn't own it. You had gotten it under contract. It sort of got out or how did, are you? No, that, that's else? one of the ones that we were in partnership with at the time. And we had helped fund those beautifully paved roads. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, we had, <laughs> And, uh, but it was still sitting just like it was in 2008 when, uh, when the market crashed. Do you know what it looks like now? I haven't been by there since yeah. then. I was like, I bet it's nice now. I bet it. <laughs> I bet I, it's oh, yeah. With, I, I'm sure now, um, yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, okay. So you, you managed to, to get through, uh, the crash without getting, you know, sort of <laughs> ruined on real estate. You, you continued with it. So then you were into, you know, kind of the single family stuff and, and, what made you go from that to, to multifamily? What, what kind of made you make that switch? So stop me if you've heard this one before. Um, scalability. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's the, the common answer to this question, but yeah. it, it's very important. I mean, there's a big reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. So scalability, honestly, um, I just, again, you know, stop me if you've heard this, but I created another job for myself. Um, I, I quickly saw that I wasn't going to be able to scale. Um, I was running into issues with, you know, with an 800 plus credit score, I was running into issues getting lending just because, Hey, you know, Mr. Vest, you've got this number of properties under your name or, you know, under your own credit, that type of thing. Um, and, and then at the end of the day, you know, you buy a property here, you buy a property here and you try to do economies of scale, but that's really difficult in single family. You know, I wasn't able to put X, you know, external property management on it, or at least not at a price point that made sense. Um, yeah. you know, cause you know, they want to charge 15%, you know, maybe more. And, you know, sometimes that it's like, man, that really eats into things. Um, so at the end of the day, I just looked at it and said, you know, maybe time to look at something else. Um, and, you know, I had been toying with it for a while anyway. Um, I knew that I never wanted to own a portfolio of like 50 single family homes. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, I knew that I, I, I wanted to go bigger, um, and, and try to do things that didn't necessarily require my own, you know, social security number and credit score to support it. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, I started looking and in, 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 in full disclosure, you know, I was looking at things like um, flex industrial, um, self-storage, you know, I was looking at a number of things like that. And so what, but you landed in on multifamily, that's sort of your focus. Yeah, to, uh, specifically because when I started looking at things, um, I wanted to look for something that had probably the most seamless transition. And quite frankly, you know, single family to multifamily, a lot of similarities, um, right. a lot of similarities. You're dealing with tenants, you're dealing with, you know, roofs and toilets and HVACs. And, right. and, you know, when I, when I show up on a multifamily property and I'm doing a due diligence walk, walking a, an apartment unit is really not that much different than walking a house, right? I'm, I'm going to check out the HVACs. I'm going to check out, you know, the plumbing. I'm going to check out, you know, we're going to scope some lines, things like that. It's, it, it carries over pretty nicely. Um, and then talking with, you know, third-party property management on a, on a multifamily property, hey, guess what? I property manage my own single-family homes a lot of that carries over. And, and in fact, I'm able to push them in some ways to say, yep. Hey, this is what we were doing over here. Tell, you got to tell me, you're going to have to come up with a pretty good reason why you can't do that over here. Um, you know, so it, a lot of it carries over and translates. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like a, a bunch of little houses, right. I'll put it, <laughs> I'll put yeah. together under one roof, right. So you're not, you don't have, you don't have, you know, 25 roofs, you have one roof over 25 apartments in each building, you know, that kind of, it's so it, yeah, it's, it's very much, I agree that the similarities are there. It's just, as you said, it's it's the scalability of it. It's that, you know, your property management fee goes from 10 or 15% on a single family house to three, three or 4% on, you know, large multifamily. So it's all of that is, is uh, you know, factors into to your ability to, to really treat it as a business. Yeah. And, and, and truly it's in some ways it's, it's, a, it's actually easier in some ways, you know, like, you know, I'll give you an example of, um, you know, when, when that summer storm rolls through and the hellstorm hits, right. Like instead of driving to 10 different properties to check out the roof on each individual house, I just go to the one and okay, it looks all right. Let's we'll, we'll go. Right. So, yeah. you know, in some ways it's, it's easier like that. Yeah, for sure. So when you, when you kind of made that decision, how, how did you get started? How, you know, how did you kind of functionally make flip that switch? Yeah, so sold off my portfolio. Um, sold off my portfolio, um, and then the uh, the only the only lesson learned there is boy hindsight, right? Like this, if I would have still had those things this past year, oh my goodness, um, <laughs> I could have doubled my money. Um, but hey, uh, so. Uh, in all seriousness, um, the way I did that is I, I, I um, sold off my portfolio. I actually kind of took a lesson from 2006 through 2008. And I said, you know, I know things translate, but at the same time, there's stuff about this that I don't know. Um, specifically, hey, I don't know. I don't know what's in, I don't know how to do a syndication. I, I, I'm educated on it. I've read all the books everybody else read. I've read all the stuff on the internet that everybody else has read. But I want, if I'm going to go out and get somebody else's money to invest in these properties, I want to have some pretty strong mentorship and coaching behind me. Um, you know, because one of the things coming out of like 2006, 2008 that I realized is, you know, had I had some stronger mentorship behind me, maybe I would have avoided a couple of things. Um, you know, so going into this, I said, I want to go get a good mentor. So I spent a 
quite a fair amount of time um, kind of researching who that would be, you know, whose group I wanted to be involved with. Did I want to go into some big, large mastermind or did I want to get kind of more of an intimate group with more direct access to the guy, the coach, you know? Um, and ultimately I ended up landing with, um, uh, a, a smaller mastermind where I really had access to the main guy, the guy who had been doing it himself for 20 plus years. And, you know, we had a lot of one-on-one conversations and, and, uh, it took quite a bit of time to, to get there, uh, to, to make that decision. So, um, that's, that's where I spent a, a good portion of say 2018 was, was, you know, doing that research and landing on that decision. Great. Yeah. And I think obviously the, the mentorship program that you choose is, you know, individual to each person in, in regards to what you're actually looking for. But I think mm-hmm. it really speaks what you're saying about sort of doing that research and making sure you're getting into the situation that, that most will benefit you as you make that investment in yourself is a really good point and, and very important for people. I think there is a lot of talk about mentorship. There's lots of gurus out there and stuff. You see all this stuff where, um, you know, pe- people making promises that they can help you, you know, become <laughs> a billionaire with, you know, but it's the reality is you have to a, a little bit know yourself and know what's going to work for you in terms of getting you, you know, getting you going. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you're, you're hitting on something spot on there is like, you got to know yourself, you got to know what you need. Um, and what's going to help you get started. Um, cause again, not all mentorships are, or masterminds are the same are created equal. And even from the standpoint of like each one may be right or wrong for you, for where you are at that, in your, in your stage of development. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like I, for some reason, I just kind of knew for me, um, cause I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of an introvert. Um, and so like the thought process of, the thought of going out and raising capital from somebody for me could actually make me sweat. And I'm like, nah, I don't want to do that. And uh, so I understand that. Well, <laughs> so I really, yeah. So I really kind of leaned towards with my first mentor, I kind of leaned towards someone who would help me get over that. Um, Cause you know, one thing I do know about syndications or getting into multifamily is scales a lot quicker if you can do it with partnerships through syndications utilizing you know investor capital um i knew i wanted to do that so i i kind of sought that i sought someone out who was pretty good at that um yeah no it's it's a good idea and i i I, yeah it's so important that you find the mentorship that is going to you know if you're if you're an introvert as as seems we both are you know probably you need someone who's going to bring you out of that shell a little bit to, to make the capital raising part of it not quite the terrifying experience that I, I feel like it can be in the beginning or at least it was for me so I, I yeah I completely agree that that's the right way to approach mentorship is finding something that's going to actually help you um, and finding whether you want you know that sort of individual attention or you're, you know, joining one of the groups that has just a, a ton of people and you're going to, you're going to be good at connecting with those people. And, and that's, you know, it, each person's individual. So, um, so good. So you felt, you felt like though, that ha- having a mentor helped you. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, I definitely think it did. Um, yeah. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and do you think that 
is this is a thing that I've thought about in terms of mentorship. Do you think that you could have done it anyway, but it saves you time and, and perhaps mistakes? Or do you think there's even more value to it than just, you know, sort of that simplification? Yeah. So could I have done it anyway? hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this applies to everybody. I know me, um, I'm pretty good at sitting down and, and reading through something and getting the principles and the basics down, having a fairly good understanding and being able to move forward. Um, you know, when I got into it, um, the way that happened was they were like, Hey, anybody know how to use a computer? Okay. I raised my hand and they sent me home. They sent me home with, uh, a stack of user guides that were like that, that big. And, and I came back on Monday and I was the company's IT expert at that point in time. So, you know, I have an ability to be able to do that. So could I have just, you know, read stuff on the internet, bought some books, move forward with some indications? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Could have stumbled through setting up my first indication, you know, from the legal documents and things like that, you know, lawyers pretty much handle that for you anyway. Um, but would I have been as effective? Probably not. Would I have scaled as quickly as I have? Definitely not. Um, that's a hundred percent for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think from, you know, I, I'm just a true believer in like investing in yourself. And if I was going to do this and especially, you know, I'll go back and say it again, if, especially if I'm going to do it and utilize other people's money and I'm going to have investors, it's probably, a good thing for me to go invest in that. Right. And, and, and have that guidance there. So, yeah, yeah I mean, to, the shorter the answer is, yeah, absolutely. I could have done it without a mentor. Um, but I think, I think you, I think you actually answered the question that I was trying to ask in that what, uh, yes, you can do it on your own. And, and you hear people say that, like, oh, I can figure this out. And it's probably true. Like, it's not, you can read books. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. But the point is you are, if you're doing a syndication, you are becoming the steward of, of other people's money. You want to have, you want to make as few mistakes as you possibly can. You don't know what you know when you get going. And, and in, in the end, it's like the speed and the scale that you'll be able to achieve with the help and the team and the mentorship, I think is, is really kind of dramatically different than just sort of figuring it out on your own. So Yeah, so, so in, in, and I'll take a little bit of that from the IT world. Because, you know, what I'll say in the IT world is, you know, if you look at IT development 20 years ago, it was, it was kind of like, let me go hire a coder and a guy and a tester and blah, 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 and I'm going to build a team. And then we're all going to sit down and we're going to struggle through this. And, and, you know, we're going to struggle through it before we, but before we put something out, it may be two years before we put a product out, right? Yeah. Instead, like what the way it's kind of pivoted today is rather than build those teams, there's companies out there who have done that, who have that expertise in house, and it may cost you a little more upfront, but you're going to get a product sooner and it's going to be better because you're leveraging expertise of people who have been there, done that, and they've already got the team set up and in place. And that's kind of the same thing with, with the mentor approach, right? Like, like I use the guy I, I worked with, um, his name was Mike, um, who I, who I, I partnered up with, or, you know, I, I had as a mentor uh, very early on. Mike had been doing it for 20 plus years. Um, he started on his own without a mentor, but by the time I had linked up with him, that's 20 years of mistakes and lessons learned and all of that, that I was ever able to leverage right there on the, on the spot. 
you know? Um, so I was that, that learning curve that he went through, I was able to avoid some of that, um, and, and hit the ground running. So I'm, you know, I'm scaling up faster than he did. Um, and you know, that's all credit to, you know, that kind of relationship and leveraging that up front. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I, I think, um, you know, you, you, you get to, you get to leverage their experience and, and the mistakes that they have made. You also get to leverage, uh, leverage their connections, right? So like they've already that, you know, you spoke of the team, they already have the, the ancillary people that you need to get a syndication done, the syndication attorney, the property management groups, the, you know, whatever it is, the lenders, all of that stuff that, that, you know, sure, you might be able to go out and find one, but, but, you know, people with experience already have that sort of list of go-to people that, that, that get it done. And that, that's a, a also a very important uh, connection to have, I think. So in terms of that, you know, speed and scalability, um, how long did it take you to kind of get to that first deal, which I think is often a, a big milestone for people? Oh, um, so in there, in there, you kind of have COVID going on. Um, you know, there was a whole lot of like sitting on the sidelines for folks during COVID. Yep. Um, just a lot of unknown. Um, what I would, what I would say is one of the things that one of my primary business partner and I did um, was during COVID, we kind of said, Hey, if there's not gonna be a lot of deals to be had, or people aren't doing a lot of things, we want to like focus on growing our network and, and our team. Uh, you know, we want to, we want to focus on finding the right who's um, on uh, for, for syndication. And we, we spent a lot of time doing that. Um, so it's kind of a long way of answering your question of it probably took a good two years um, between mentors and growing our network and stuff before we nailed down that first deal. Um, as a partnership, as a partnership, you know, we, we'd each done some smaller stuff individually. Um, like my primary partner, um, you know, he's probably done 40 plus deals over the last eight years. Um, and those range anywhere from, you know, duplexes up to 20 units, um, uh, properties. Um, so, you know, between the two of us, we've done quite a bit over, you know, that period of time, but, um, as far as really getting into the multifamily space, you know, it probably took us about two years before we get that first deal under our belt. Yeah. And it, I think that's important for people to hear, especially that are getting started that it's not a quick thing. It takes time. It takes persistence. It takes hard work to, to get there, right. To get, to get started. Essentially, there's a lot of, you're going to put a lot into it before you see much, um, but then, so where's your, I guess, where's your portfolio at now and, and kind of how to maybe talk about how that scale happened? Because I, I do think, you know, that once you kind of, once you get one, then it tends to, to go pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, I was, if you hadn't said it, I was going to. Um, so um, I always like to, always like to preface this because people always say, Hey, how many units do you own? Right. Um, so even when you're an LPE, you technically own units, right? Um, so what I would tell folks is, so ownership wise, I have close to 900 units. Um, under my active management assets under management, I'm just under 400 at this point. Um, and how we got there was you just hit on it was the power of that first deal. Um, we struggled for the longest time to nail down that first deal for, for lots of reasons, none of which were 
you know, a, a kind of a hesitancy on our part to get the first deal. We were ready to go. Um, it was just getting it, getting brokers to take us serious enough, things like that. Yeah. Um, but once we got that first one, we quickly got the second one and then the third one. And then the next thing, you know, um, we had closed on, uh, we had closed on six deals within seven months from doing the first one. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it was, it's all like it's deal momentum. Right. And it's, it's truly, it's a, it's a true thing for sure. Um, you get that first one under your belt and then all of a sudden some of the sellers, some of the brokers that have kind of been watching you, maybe like, uh, I can't tell if he's a tire kicker or not, right. you know, all of a sudden they're reaching out to you. Um, I can tell you when we closed on our first one and we said, Hey, closed on our first deal. Awesome. Literally that day I started getting calls. Things started showing up in my email that had never shown up before on LinkedIn. People started, you know, brokers started connecting with me. Hey, I got something I want you to look at. Um, and it just, it snowballed from there. Yeah, no, some really great points there because it's, it's like you spent, you know, like you said about two years to close the first one and then six deals in, what do you say? Six deals in six months or seven months. Yeah. (laughs) Seven months. Yeah. yeah. Like that's, that's kind of how it goes, right? It's, you know, that's very good. That's a lot of deals right, right off the bat, but it, you know, but that story kind of keeps coming up within, you know, sort of within the the syndication space. It's like, once people realize that you are serious and you can close, then it's like, Hey, you, you, as you said, you're starting to see things in your inbox that you, you didn't see before you're hearing from people you had never heard before. It's it's kind of a a really a fascinating uh, process, how that works. And it's, it's encouraging, right? It's encouraging to the people that are getting started to know that, that it's like, just just hang in there get the first one and 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 from there it'll snowball and you'll be you know you'll you'll be able to scale uh, that so that was fast when that started to happen and you talked about um you know kind of building your your uh, relationships and network in the in the meantime how how do you feel about that you know quick scaling has that how has that gone for you i know sometimes it's like you can get pretty overwhelmed in terms of the amount of work it takes to get a deal closed and then manage it and everything like that. And if you go from, you know, having none to suddenly six deals in seven months, how did that growth kind of feel? What did, what did you do to handle that? Um, so the growth felt awesome. <laughs> uh, the growth, uh, you know, it was kind of one of those, Hey, everything we've been working for is starting to happen. Um, so that, you know, I, I don't, I won't, don't want to lie to anybody. That's, that's certainly there. That was great. But then it starts to become real, right? You start to realize I got a business going on. This isn't a hobby. I got a business going on, whether I like it or not. Um, and I, I gotta, I gotta run it like a business. Um, so quickly, quickly, what starts to become apparent is I can't wear all the hats in this business anymore. Um, I've got to start turning some things over. Um, it's all part of scaling. Um, one of the first places that we saw it, and there's, I'll give you two examples or two places. One of the first places that we saw it was, um, our underwriting. Um, you know, as, as anybody who's listening may know, um, when you're trying to get that first deal, you're probably underwriting 
10 deals a week, 20 deals a week, 30 properties. I mean, I, I, if, if we could screen share easily, I'd show you, like, I got a folder that's hundreds of properties yeah. long yeah. that never came true, you know? Um, and, but one of the first things that started to suffer was our underwriting. If you're not underwriting, you're not getting LOIs out. Right. So that's one of the first things that started to suffer. The second thing that started to suffer for us is once you get a deal under, uh, once you get a deal under your management, you know, a lot of folks talk about, oh, you're putting third party management on it. You know, it's easier to, to handle and stuff. And that's true, but you still got to asset manage this thing. You still have an, uh, you still have a commitment to your investors, to your partnership team. Your job is to make sure that the property manager is delivering on your business plan the way you set it up. So those quickly became, um, the, that started to quickly snowball on us as well. Um, to the point where we're like, Hey, one of the first places we need to look to expand and bring somebody in is on the asset management piece. Um, and quite frankly, uh, you know, I have three other mentors right now. Uh, and that was one of the first things before we even saw it come to a reality. That's one of the first things I think it was around our third or fourth deal. You know, he was like, you guys are going to, you guys are going to need an asset manager pretty soon. Um, and you know, about two deals later, <laughs> we went back and we were like, I think we're there. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so yeah. that's, that's probably what we saw uh, the, the, the quickest, the underwriting started to suffer and asset management started to take up more and more time. Yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, it's like, you're going to have probably at least a, a weekly meeting with your property management group in the beginning and mm -hmm. take over. And, and, and also, you know, depending on how, how much of a value add it is, how much, how much of a heavy lift you, you're going to have more contact than even that. So it's, it's, it is a lot of time consuming, you know, you're not, you're not there, you're not, you know, you're not swinging the hammers, you're not doing the work, but there's a lot of true managing that needs to happen. And so every, every deal you add into that, it's like that time, <laughs> it just keeps multiplying. So yeah, I can imagine that that gets, uh, you know, sort of quick, very quickly becomes, you, you need the extra help or, or you just are going to drown and, and the, and the deal's going to suffer, right? Like your investors aren't going to get as good of a return if you're not managing it well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially like you said, if, if there's a, a strong value add component to it, um, you, you better be on top of the asset management. Um, cause nobody's, you know, I don't care how good your property manager is. Nobody's going to push that the way you are. Um, and then sometimes, some, sometimes quite frankly, you know, the, the property managers can get too aggressive. Right. Um, you know, we had a, we had a situation recently where, um, you know, you're like, why, what, this market's got people on waiting lists. Why is this unit, um, why, why is this unit sitting 45 days vacant? And we find out that, well, we, we offered it at 1500 a month, but, but the market's at like, but we underwrote year one to, to 1350. Why are we right. going after 1500? You know, right. what we can't, what we can't have is vacancy. Um, right. you know, yeah. vacancy is uh, the most expensive thing, right? <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, even, even from there, it's like, Hey, I appreciate you trying, but you know, if we hit, let's, let's take it down to 1395. And if we hit that, we've exceeded our year one expectation already. Right. So, right. Um, you know, little things like that too, it doesn't even have to be, you know, swinging hammers or, or changing out, you know, cabinets. Uh, there's some other things that, you know, you got to stay on top of your private property managers about as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
of course. And it, it's, yeah, all, I mean, all of it, it's, it's, there's a, there's sort of the physical property side and then there's the, the tenant side of it too, where it's just, like you said, you know, what are the right, what are the right rents to have to, to keep your occupancy up, but maximize the, the rents and, and, you know, make sure people are paying rent and, and if there's delinquencies and things like that. It's just a, it's a lot to kind of keep on top of and every deal that you add in, it's, it's going to get, you know, become exponentially harder to keep up with that yourself. So yeah. Um, yeah, it makes, makes total sense. I think it's, I think a lot of people, myself included, do struggle with that, you know, kind of what, what to do from a scaling component, right? You're like, yeah. I want to, I want to do this. I really want to, and in the beginning, you don't have any revenue coming in. So you're probably nervous about hiring people, but then suddenly it's like, well, if, if the deals are coming that quickly, you need, you need to do something to keep up with them. So uh, I appreciate that, you know, sort of advice and insight into what, what you've done. Cause I think that can help people, uh, you know, as they grow as well. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. cool. Tim, let's, uh, let's maybe switch gears a little bit. Um, I have, you know, a series of questions that I like to ask each guest. Uh, the first one is based on the name of the show being know your why, what is your why? What, what drives you? What, what's kind of motivating you to, to build with such speed and scale? Uh -huh. So, uh, part of my why is actually in a room right now studying for a midterm. Uh, I think it's a math three midterm. So, you know, good luck to her on that one, but, uh, that's my, my, that's my 13 year old daughter, Peyton. Um, she's a big part of my why. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's an easy one for a lot of people to get to. Um, you know, I, I can see in the background, it looks like you probably have some yep. kids, yep. at least one. Yep. That is um, also, yeah, my kids are my my why as well. It's uh, or part of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then uh, the other part of my why is, you know, I think it was just kind of ingrained in me. Um, you know, my dad was always trying to do something on his own, um, you know, whether it be cutting wood for people or going down to the beaches in the summer and building decks for people to make extra money, stuff like that. Um, you know, my dad just kind of had this entrepreneurial spirit. Um, it carried over into me and my brothers. So I, you know, I think the, you know, wanting to do something on my own, have something as a legacy to hand over to my daughter. Um, and then just to kind of provide her with, you know, a, a more opportunity than I had. Um, I think that's the big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. I, I, kids are a great motivator. They really, they, they definitely yeah. give you a, a different perspective on my kids are young. They're two and a half and, and six months old. So they're, they're a bit younger, but, but yeah, I think that the goal is the same, right. To, to, to give them, you know, a better life than we had. And, and that doesn't necessarily even mean just financially, it's just like, you know, education and, and access to, to opportunities, I think. So, um, very, very cool. I, I can, uh, relate to that one well yeah um well tell us tell us the list tell the listeners something about yourself that uh, isn't common knowledge like a hobby or a special skill or even something that you're trying to you want to pick up oh boy a uh, hobby or special skill um here's here's one that people pick on me about um <laughs> so feel free to feel free to hound me on this one um so i was in a hallmark christmas movie um <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, and it, and it was, um, it was a particularly bad one. Um, so that even adds to it. 
Um, but yeah, so uh, every now and then uh, there's a little local group around the Charlotte area that when movies are filming in town, uh, they go in and we get to be extras on set. So I'll go do that every now and then. Um, and honestly, for me, uh, it, it's a it's a fun thing to do, but it's a personal development thing for me because I mentioned earlier, I'm a bit of an introvert. Yeah. Uh, so getting in front of a crew and a camera, even in the background acting in some way, shape or form, um, that does not come natural to me. It's not comfortable for me. So I do it sometimes just to push myself a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to kind of get outside your comfort zone, but what's what movie? So we can all look. Oh boy. Uh, it was called a, uh, a Nashville Christmas Carol. Okay. So if you can imagine, it is the Christmas Carol story with the ghosts and everything. Gotcha. In a Hallmark Nashville Christmas setting. <laughs> and, it, and it was formed, filmed in Charlotte? Or were you in Nashville at the time? <laughs> so it was the, no, it was uh, filmed in, the Nashville movie was filmed in downtown Charlotte. And uh, in the uh, heat of uh, early September. Um, <laughs> nice. My wife's from Charlotte. I know it's not it's not snowy or wintry in in September in Charlotte. I, I yeah, hide, hiding the sweat as we're wearing those winter jackets was yeah, not easy. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. That's very funny. That that's actually very very interesting. We'll have to uh, I'll have to check out that movie and see if I can find you. Um, how can people reach you if they're looking to to connect? Uh, you know, whether that's to um, you know, dive into your story more, or even as investors, what's the best way to, to get a hold of you? So definitely not through SAG, because um, I don't have a card. <clears throat> but uh, not yet, not, not yet. yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, one day. No. Um, so yeah, on LinkedIn, uh, just under my name, uh, Tim Best, and uh, you can grab me through my website as well, uh, harvestpg.com, and that's harvest. Paul is in. P is in Paul, G is in George.com and tvest at harvestpg.com. Um, my, my information's there. Uh, Calendly links as well. So if you ever want to just schedule some time and chat, I'm always up for that. Okay, cool. Last question, Tim, what, what piece of advice would you give to someone who's, I guess, where you were, you know, a year ago, so somewhere at the beginning of their journey, what would you tell them to kind of give them some motivation uh, and, and inspiration to, to keep going forward? So uh, kind of a two-part answer, if that's okay. Um, yeah, so don't get discouraged, just keep going. And whatever it takes, get that first deal done. Um, if you got to give up significant equity, don't be afraid to do, a, do it. Don't look at it as giving up equity. Look at it as creating opportunity because truly you get the first one done, the second one is so much easier. Um, so really do what you got to do to get that first one done. Yeah, yeah, makes makes total sense. The the law of the first deal is a real a real thing. It's it's it's. I, I don't think I know, have heard of anyone who <laughs> hit the first deal and then was like, now it now it's no good. Now I can't do it anymore. It <laughs> just seems like you yeah, haven't done anything, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's just everybody gets they did their first one, and then it's like, wow, this really does explode. So, yeah. uh, yeah, it's great. Just just keep pushing for that point, and then and you'll eventually kind of hit that you know inflection point. So. Well, thank you, Tim. This is, this is great. It's been a great talk. Uh, I really appreciate your time and, and having you on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and sign off. Have a great day, everyone. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. 
My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.